0: What is up everyone and thanks for tuning in. In today's episode of the Big Ideas in App Architecture podcast, we speak to Jordan Thomas, who is the CTO and co-founder of Kami. Jordan and I talk about Kami and how his company is making a difference in classrooms around the world. Jordan shares about the beginnings of Kami to growing the company and how they're architecting their solutions for scale, keeping in mind the daily challenges of teachers in every classroom around the world. So pump up that volume and get ready for an intriguing conversation with Jordan Thomas. Hey Jordan, how are you doing? Welcome to the podcast. Ah, uh, yeah, great, great. Thanks for having me. This is the first time I'm having somebody uh, come from the you know, oceanic side. So New Zealand, Australia. (laughs) Down under. (laughs) Down under, you know. So uh, I'm super excited uh, and, you know, honored to have you on the podcast. So it's it's an absolute pleasure for everybody listening. You know, uh, Jordan... Is the CTO co-founder uh, for a company called Kami, and without butchering what you guys do, I let Jordan kind of explain his role, uh, the company, how they're changing the world. So, Jordan, why don't you kind of spin it up and you know tell us uh, what you guys are doing?
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, um, Kami is a started the company that I started along with um, a few other people about about ten years ago at this point. Um, and we're all about making teachers' lives better and making education better. So we built this product, which is used in classrooms. And essentially, it's like a, a teaching productivity tool, you can think of it. So most most lessons will start off with some sort of resource that the teacher has. Either publisher's given them something or they've come up with something themselves. And they want a way for these students to really interact with this resource, pull it apart, show the understanding of it, put it back together, and then um, give that back to the teacher and let the teacher give them feedback on it and give them ways that they could have done that better or, you know, um, tell them what the, the great work they've done. So we we have this platform that's used in classes to, um, you know, send out work, give feedback um, and uh, make make that sort of a much more interactive experience. You know, a lot of the time when we go into a classroom, there are previous solutions to that is literally paper, you know. And you may think that it's all gone digital, and oh, they've spent half a million, millions of dollars buying devices. But in reality, a lot of that technology is too hard to use, and the teachers just go back to doing things the old way they've always done. So we're making it simple enough that any teacher can just move the, everything that they were doing digital and get so many benefits out of that. Um, so yeah, our biggest market is the United States. Um, that's always been our biggest market, actually. Um, but we're in you know almost every country around the world
0: that's brilliant you know i was uh while I was preparing to have you on the con- uh, you know for this conversation I went to the kami website and I was checking it out and then I saw like you have this you have these amazing features so where you can annotate live annotations um and then also one of the, my favorite features was like a, a teacher can actually live uh, do the assignment. Uh, and it can be for all, the whole class together at the same time. And the reason why I love that is uh, my mother was actually a teacher and she would teach elementary uh, school. So, from first grade to fifth grade back in India. And they used to do everything on paper. You know, the kids used to like do it and then she would come up with these bundles of paper back home to you know check all the assignment and score it so my job as a teenager was to basically once she's checked everything to score everything up together and give somebody a total so like if it was out of 50 you know i had to sum it up to like okay if we got 40 45 whatever it was right and i was talking to her the other day i was like hey you know what there's this company called kami and they have built this app she's like oh wish i had that when i was teaching it and now she's retired so so i, I think in many ways uh it's a very novel um, effort that you guys are putting to kind of build an experience uh, because we talk we have so many courses towards students Uh, lots of people are building things for the student life education you know how can we explain something to get better but on the teacher side that's underserved so tell me a little bit about I mean that's just my opinion but tell me a little bit about how did you guys feel like you needed to do something like what inspired you to build uh, Kami
1: yeah. I mean, I, I completely agree with you. Um, it's a very, very underserved market. And so many things that you think are just um, you know, just really just basic workflows that in most other industries are are solved problems are still not in education. And the amount of time that teachers spend entering grades into multiple systems, yeah, you know, manually adding up grades, as as you said. And all that all that time is not time that they're spending, you know, with their kids or that they're spending planning the next lesson. It's just more time taken out of their day and making makes teaching, you know, less of an attractive profession. So we thought it was really important to make those things um, as basic as they might seem, just really, really great experiences. And then obviously on top of that platform we can build more and more exciting interactive things and bring in AI and do all these sorts of things. But off of a platform we're just making teachers' everyday lives um, much, much better. Um, so we I mean we started off um, with a slightly different product and direction, you know, we were actually building things for more for university students, because that's what we were at the time. Um, and mm. we were in the sort of our final university and found that the sort of the note taking applications were not that great. Um, we weren't happy with any of them, so we built our own one. Um, and then as we put that out in the world and started iterating on it, we just found that there was this huge love that came from from teachers um, for the product, which we weren't necessarily expecting it was a slightly different, slightly different direction. And when we started talking to all these users. Actually, we would early on, um, everybody who signed up for our product, we would send them an email and just say, uh, you your know, personal email, not not automated, but just just for one of us and say, hey, h- how are you liking the product? What you, why did you sign up? What are you using it for? And as much as possible, get onto a, a call with them and, and talk. And we started to realize that like, oh, nice. the the passion of the teachers who's um who are using our product was just so high and even with our product being relatively basic at that point because we only built it a couple of months ago um they just really really loved it and we could feel that and we could feel that okay here's an opportunity to do something quite significant so
0: well that's brilliant yeah so you were in college four university friends uh 10 years down In 2022, you became, you had, uh, I I was reading Times Most Influential Companies of 2022, uh, which is really significant, right? Like, so you were saying ideation wise, you were initially serving the students, and then you felt like, hey, you have lots of teachers feeling like they need to do this. So, um, how did that turn into a more mature product? Like, talk about the little bit of the beginnings of like founding a company, right? Like, how did that go?
1: yeah yeah it's always it's just a journey and i think like it's it's a different sort of story for us than it would have been if we'd been in the united states at the time um right you know it's a different different funding market in new zealand it's developed a lot since that sort of 2012 2013 period when when we were starting out um but you know we we you know rose a little, little bit of money from a few few angels um you know we've been working on it without any money at all for for a while and just sort of uh, throughout uni but after that it was like okay we do need to do need to eat and ourselves something so we'll we'll we sort of rose a small round and um we, we were very qu- early on we started trying to um monetize in small ways um and mostly just as a way of validating, because if people are willing to pay for something, you you have a better sense of the value that you're providing. Um, So we sort of, through that, um, sort of started monetizing quite early and we ended up being very sort of capital efficient throughout the the growth of the company, which was, was, was really good. You know, we've seen a lot of competitors and especially in the tech space who will go and raise large amounts of money and then that comes with expectations of growing very quickly. Um, yeah, if you if you raise a VC series A, that's obviously what they expect. Um, and in the education market, you know, it often takes time for people to adopt products. It takes time to figure out how to really get into classroom. It's not an industry where um, people really like to change very, very quickly. So if you try to match it up to a VC timeframe, um, I've seen a lot of companies struggle with that. So we used we to took a startup approach
0: yeah I was curious were there any other company because as of course in the New Zealand market was like a, the startup scene was just kind of coming together and I mean compared to the US it's like you know different market w- were there any examples for you that you kind of looked up to and you're like okay you know these companies are companies that we can emulate you were talking about them early on I think
1: there was definitely, definitely a lot of companies out there that really admire and, and would, would emulate in different ways you know I think um things like stripe and shopify and the way that they do engineering we always um also because they're wuby shops and we're wuby shops so it's always always looking to them um i think like in terms of education companies um definitely some um although i think like we weren't seeing um the you know, one thing that one thing that surprised um surprised me at least was when we started going to more um education technology conferences and things like that. And sort of you see the, the layout of, of the market. Um, there's very few that are focused on like teacher and student needs and making their lives better. Most of them are focused on administrators. Most of them are focused on things that are not really that like relevant to the teachers and students and their actual learning. So yeah, there wasn't, um, there's a few companies that do have done really nice things, but mostly we were looking at companies in other, in other verticals, I guess.
0: Yeah. Yeah, because when I was also thinking about uh, what Kami is doing, right, I, I, in my mind, it didn't come to me, like, what are the other comparative companies who are trying to do? Because it seems like what you are trying to do is directly affecting What's happening in the classroom on a day-to-day basis, and that applies to elementary all the way to school, yeah like twelfth grade, right? Like, I mean, what you're doing is directly affecting, which is which is why I was like, okay, this is something different for sure. And uh, I was also, it was good to hear from you and understand that. Okay, it takes time. It's not like it, you can go into a school and say, okay, start using a product. It, adoption takes time. Habits have been built on for so many years. Um, did you feel like everyone who started to use the product immediately? was like able to use it effectively uh, or did you feel like you had this oh we have been doing this traditionally for 20 years this is how I teach and this is new did you face those kind of uh, challenges or not challenges but more like experiences that you heard from people um,
1: yeah I mean there's definitely in any market um and probably even more so in, in education there's a spectrum of of teachers out there right there's some that are incredibly tech savvy um, you don't believe how tech savvy some of them are and they they'll they'll adopt something when it's very early, right? Like our early versions were not the easiest to use, had had different things that they had had different flaws and different things yet to work around, and they would adopt it even despite those things and figure out how to make it work really, really well. Um, but then a lot of those teachers will end up becoming um sort of tech integration specialists or ed ed tech coaches within their schools um and coaching other teachers. And as as they've made the product much, much easier to use, and you've had those edtech coaches out there who have many of you are big fans of us and our sort of heroes program, we support them. They are able to teach the teachers who are a little bit less, um, you know, and just, you know, take a little bit more help to adopt new technology um, and sort of get them over that hump and show them the value. And then once they're there and it becomes something they're used to using, then they um, are really happy with it and get, get that benefit out of it. Um, but you definitely just you definitely just you see that like you have this early adopter pool, then you have like an early majority, late majority—that sort of adoption cycle. We've definitely seen that, seen that play out. Right, that's awesome.
0: That's awesome. So I was thinking, you know, let's go, let's go a little bit to uh, you know your journey. Uh, of course, you're now CTO, co-founder. Give me, let, tell me a little bit more about what made you choose a career in engineering. Like, was there was how, how was how was Jordan's uh, influences uh, towards engineering?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. one. I mean, I think, I think that I started off, um, you know, there's a lot of, a uh, lot of stories in my parents, I feel of sort of, I was doing all, all of the, all of the electronics kits as a kid. And that was, yeah. that was my big thing was all of the, um, you know, the kids, where you get some resistors and a capacitor and you solder them together when you make some, some sort of circuit. And even, even before computers, cause I didn't really have a computer component at that point, even before that, I was I was really into those. And then I think I discovered computers and software and I was like, well, this is so much easier. Like I've been yeah. spending hours soldering things together and now I can create something with I don't even have to get up. Like, okay, this is this is much better. So I think I pretty quickly switched to it.
0: like Jordan's not Jordan's not burning up the house. This is much more easy. You can sit yeah, in a corner yeah. and work.
1: Not not breathing breathing all the letters solder, which is probably more healthy too. So <laughs> so um yeah, and that, and that was pretty early on. I think I right? sort of by ten or so, I was doing doing a fair bit of programming of of different things, and um, sort of um, so I was, always, I was always building software from from pretty early on. Um, and I went to when I went to sort of university or colleges, as you call it, I sort of considered did I, I want to do pure software? Did I want to try to combine it with something else? Um, and like sort of more of like combine it with. But I also really enjoyed physics. That was the other big lab. And it's was like, do mm-hmm. I try to bring in some more physics or some right. sort of mechanical aspect? And in the end, it was clear it was easier. It was just going to be a better path to just, just a pure software degree, which I did sort of a, a software engineering degree. Um And I think sort of the entrepreneurial part also came through then of like, I'd sort of always, i sort of be doing that separately. I've been playing around different things and like doing the sort of the, well, I, didn't, I didn't do a lemonade stand but i did bake bread so <laughs> <I could probably laughs> maybe close enough um and um you know i'd sort of and then i think it, i think at some point um you know i got a uh, internship to enter in silicon valley um san francisco just sort of uh during my degree after my third year um and i think that was the point where i sort of saw oh like you could actually combine these things and you could actually raise money for an idea and people would people would give you money just to go and work on this Thing that was just an idea you came out with like two weeks ago which had not been a concept i'd been exposed to before um and i, th- and I think seeing that right. was definitely sparked some uh some thoughts yeah
0: i think so many people don't understand the influence of silicon valley and just the atmosphere of being around people who are constantly looking at problems and like oh let me turn this into an idea i mean it's it's fascinating you know like i when i moved to the valley uh and I moved to the U.S. in 2017 and within two years I was in the valley and I was in kind of integrating and talking to all these people and now I'm in the thick of you know things talking to people all the time about ideas and AI and they're trying to bring everything together but they're talking about scale you know so what I realize is that in early on you have this brilliant idea and you start building that and then suddenly it becomes very real when you've <laughs> taken somebody's money that you have to deliver yeah. something <laughs> so uh, so once you guys did that let's go back to uh, you know talking about kami a little bit like how was that early product like what technology stack you use and how were you in the early phase able to show value back to the investors
1: i guess i guess there was sort of two you know very early on there was a phase of um that first product we built that was more university student focused um and that was probably actually the only time we've done a complete so away, rewrite, rewrite, we sort of threw away that code base and built the new one, which was, um, you know, the, the first platform had been really like annotation um, and the sort of document part that people actually responded to quite well. But we had coupled it to this whole like course management thing and like, you know, trying to be an LMS and learning management system and trying to, like we were trying to do a whole lot of things that were not actually what people wanted. And we realized yeah. that actually the annotation part is interesting, the rest of it. We just should, should get it off. So we took out that part and built as a new sort of standalone product, um, which was initially a Chrome browser extension um, and still is, but now mostly just a sort of a PWA um, website, um, and we, um, yeah, yeah, built it out there. We built sort of a Ruby, Ruby backend with Postgres as the database, uh, now Postgres and CockroachDB, but started off just with Postgres. Um, and, um, yeah, we, we've actually kept, I think, the stack has changed a little bit. I mean, we're on, we're on Heroku to start off with and move to Kubernetes uh, later on. Um, right. But I think, like, I'm actually quite proud of, like, then out of, you know, a lot of those initial database structures and things that I laid out 10 years ago are still, you know, haven't changed that significantly now. Um, right, right. You know, the uses of them has changed enormously, but some of those fundamental things are still actually the same.
0: Right. And that's what happens too, right? Like when you build something and if the idea is pretty clear, right? I mean, what I've noticed is that pretty much the table structure, the design, the entity diagrams, pretty much everything is the same. What changes is the amount of transactions and uh, the scale at which people are trying to use. I mean, which is a good problem to have. You really want more people (laughs) to kind of start using your product. But again, starting with like, uh, I would say a horizontal architecture where you have the application uh, with like a simple database running is a good way to kind of begin. I feel um, so. Was there uh, was that where you guys were initially? Like you were like, let's let's see if this got legs, and then think about changing things as we kind of uh, need to.
1: Yeah, I think. I mean, there's always an interesting debate that goes on between like how much how much is should you optimize for what would work at scale when you're just starting out. Um, yeah. but I think like sometimes what people miss in that is that some of the things that help you get to scale I don't actually think of any more work to do at the beginning stage um right like yeah, separating your database from your app and having your app, a scalable app layer um I mean if you do if you're using rails or something like that, actually that makes it incredibly easy and it's, it's fast and I don't think you would have saved any time going with you know Mongo or like with some of the more like um you know things like that. Sort of get rid of some of that database layer, but I think the time would have saved from that would have been very minimal, if any. Um, and you know, going with the going with the SQL database, like you know, okay, you need to define some schemas, but actually, it ends up saving you more time than it that it costs right. you, and um, you're in so much better stead long term. Um, so, but then I guess another um at least on the other hand, is like we went with roku which saved us a lot of time. Eventually we had to migrate, but it was an easy migration, so.
0: Yeah. yeah. I mean, we move from Postgres to, like, Postgres, uh,
1: CockroachDB. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And then, yeah, we moved, to, um, and that that was a relatively easy migration as well. I mean, it would have been very easy if we weren't doing it in the middle of COVID and then it with <laughs> 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 enormous traffic increases. <laughs> it would have been a little bit more stressful, but um, no, it was, it was definitely a good move for us.
0: Oh, that's a good a good point you brought up. Like COVID significantly was a very impactful year for Kami, right? Because, I mean, everybody had to like work from home. New Zealand, of course, had a pretty strict rules at the time um, as well. So, um, th- did you kind of see that's when everybody started of like looking at Kami as this amazing option to kind of start using for classrooms? Can I talk about that a little bit. Yeah.
1: So, I mean, we we were already a, a successful part before before COVID. Yeah, we had. Um... Millions of users, and you know, and we have always been a—we'd always gone for that in-classroom experience. I like I weren't we're a remote classroom product, but obviously, it also applies very nicely for remote classrooms. Um, and when you send all the students home, you there's other options disappear. You have to go to something digital. You have to go to something that's really easy to adopt, and CAMI was that tool for a, a huge number of schools. So we we saw. Um, uh, enormous growth over that period. over A uh, six-month period, we had a 25x increase in peak usage. So I'm measuring peak usage there by, like, the per second amount, which is, like, that, that's, that's the amount that the database is going to quote on. It's like, what is the busiest second across that day? And that right. busiest second increased by 25x. Um, wow. And that, that was where we had had, you know, um, I think we got probably – 10, 10 or fifteen x, we were able to get out of out of Postgres, which was actually good. Like we did a lot of optimization, um, but the thing about it was all write load, and we had a level of write load that was very, very difficult to deal with on on Postgres. Right, right. Um, just because yeah. we were like, I don't know how how do you want to go into Postgres, but we were burning, you know, over a billion transaction IDs per day, and Postgres wow. has to uh, has to vacuum if we, you know be two and a half billion or so so you were just, we were just constantly trying to do um, manual vacuums to keep up with it, and it was, yeah i mean that's nasty. a
0: nightmare of a scenario to manage actually especially when you are you want to scale the business and you don't want to work on infrastructure right like and you're trying to like burn fire uh, or like the fire is going and you're trying to put water and kind of fix it yeah um but yeah it's it's great to know i mean that you were able to scale um i wanted to jump back to a, a thing that you were mentioning previously and i i liked your perspective on it like early on when you know i have spoken to many other companies and folks uh, founders and ctos uh, and i have met two types of folks you know uh, there are ones who are like you who feel like hey the technology is not something that we need to prove but we need to prove the 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 idea and the use case and make that work and and then we can go from scaling Uh, it like as we get there and then there's another side of people who have like the seasoned experience of working on kubernetes they have worked on 50 other databases and they've worked on like five programming languages you know kafka all those things and they build like this really complex architecture and they have the solution of how it will be implemented but they haven't tested out if the use case or the app itself will be like functional and i've seen more success in conversations uh, uh, uh from those people around people who have Focused on like you have clearly tried to see if this idea works, if this is really what the world needs let's get this working and then we'll scale as we need to so um the, the question I wanted to ask was, did do you ever have a point of point where you were like uh you know let's let's start thinking about scale early on, or was it always like let's see if this works and then then we'll get there yeah,
1: yeah. I think it's it's interesting because t- to me um like it's like to me i guess it's that like, to me it's a little bit more nuanced than just that because some things like like kubernetes i, I think um to me is not that complicated mm-hmm. not not if you're not use if you don't use it in a complicated way, it's not that complicated, yeah, so yeah. if you are just starting out and you just want to deploy something simple, just do it on Kubernetes. use use autopilot on g k e or the equivalents on mm-hmm. on others um it'll be really simple, and it'll, if you need to run it. Hundred times scale than where you are now, you'll have a path to get there. um right. So, like, there's some things that are not simple to do; that are actually simple to use at small stage and will scale, and some things that are just like too complicated and you shouldn't deal with. um And it's a matter of figuring out what those things are. So, what was your what was your question? I kind of
0: <laughs> yeah. I, w- I wanted to I wanted to get your perspective on. Did you ever like within the architectural phase, like say two three years into the company, start felt like okay, we need to like Okay, now start thinking about scale. But it seems like you were already using Kubernetes early on, so you didn't really have to like think about making too many changes to where you wanted to
1: go. Yeah, most most things that we encountered were not do not do not require major architectural changes. Right, I think that we'd done a few things right from the start around, um, you know, we had scalable instances of of Ruby initially on Heroku, but later on Kubernetes. Um, Kubernetes didn't exist when we started out, so. Um it was uh Heroku was the best option. Um and but yeah, having a scalable, scalable fleet of um apps instances, um, having a having a database with with scalability that we can we can scale up, um only horizontally at first, but we had plenty of headroom there. Right. Um mostly what we had to do as we were going through those initial scaling boosts was much more about just application optimization, like oh we're we're doing some dumb query it should have an index or we need to rethink how we do this um or you know um no those things didn't really require too much architectural changes i mean the other thing we did was we've always been very heavily heavy on um uh, we use sidekick mm. uh, which is sort of a background worker um framework for for Ruby, and just pushing anything that's um you know long running work or needs retries, things like that just push it out of your main web request servers yeah. into psychic and um, everyone knows his background jobs and that that makes things and much much more reliable and right, right. And, so
0: uh how did um, you make the decision to kind of architect it this way was it uh something that you ex your team kind of explored uh or you felt like this was you had strength and knowledge around this particular set of technology that's why you went with it
1: um yeah i'd, I'd used uh Rails before um when i'd been actually when i'd uh, been over in San Francisco, I use files. Um, and I mean, I've used i would used other phones before. I'd used Django, I'd used various PHP things. And right. Once I saw that, it seemed it seemed clearly clearly the, clearly the best the best way. Uh, and I was the only engineer, or me and me and my uh, co-founder co- CEO, of the engineers. So there's no just convince anybody else. Yeah, so, I mean,
0: you're like
1: I'm um, the CTO. This is what I'm gonna do. Yeah, this is what I'm gonna do. It's gonna be Ruby and and I and I like Ruby a lot, so yeah, yeah. it's uh, it was an easy choice to make.
0: Yeah, so I'm not I'm not somebody who's used Ruby a lot, uh, but I was a I was because I was working on data data science stuff. I was more inclined towards you know Python, and so Django was something that I used a lot with like Flask. But I never really felt it was it was good enough to do simple things, but it wasn't amazing, you know. So I felt like every time I would go into forums or Reddit. Or like, ask people; they all felt like they were they would prefer Ruby as, like what they needed to use. So, and I think that was also a little bit of San Francisco kind of in there. So, yeah. yeah,
1: yeah, it's definitely. I mean, I mean, Python, I think, is is also obviously a great language. Um, I haven't I haven't used Django uh, for a long time, so I couldn't comment on how it compares now. Though I think there's probably more, like between like GitHub and um, you know, Shopify and Stripe, and there's probably more large companies building big apps on on rails yeah, and yeah. you need the python frameworks and i think so there's definitely a definitely a very nice thing about having um it's very nice when there's a huge company that's dependent on the same state that you are and doing things in a similar way like a lot of our infrastructure around kubernetes and stuff is quite similar to shopify's and i read a lot of their shopify blog posts and stuff as i was doing that transition because you know that they're gonna have a big team dealing with all the hard tricky problems and you can kind of just piggyback off that a little bit i agree um, i agree so, i think
0: i've heard the same thing i think the only uh, company that comes to my mind that's using python is probably Robinhood. i know Robinhoods uh, used python to build their app and i don't know how extensively yeah. like what all they're using but yeah. i, I know no. yeah it's interesting yeah. yeah
1: so i mean certainly if you're in data if you're doing data analysis like python is a language definitely there. so for the same reasons you would you would use python
0: right yeah 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 that's awesome um so i wanted to jump back and kind of um ask you like so now uh kami start four people you've got 100 100 people plus now at the company yeah and is it like everybody is in new zealand or do you have like teams in other uh, countries as well now
1: um yeah so we have about 70 of those is in new zealand um all of the sort of product engineering team marketing team um operations or all of that um and then um you yeah, finance etc uh but we, our sales team is um, mostly based in the US, but also across the, rest of the world. So we have a team of, um, you know, largely ex-teachers um, in the in the US who do a lot of work going into schools and training them on how to use Kami and how to, you know, just teach better, technolo- better, better with technology generally. Um, and that's, yeah, so, so that we found that, um, you know, we started off and we were trying to have like sales people in New Zealand calling into the US and yeah. That was that was not a that was not very successful. But <laughs> once yeah. we hired Americans to do it, um, that was that was a big turning point. I mean, us.
0: it's time zone, man. It's like uh, it's it's something to yeah. deal with, right? Um, it, yeah, time zone
1: matters so much. It, it always seems like a su- silly thing, like oh, surely time zone, whatever. But like, <laughs> it make it really, really matters. Like you can't get around it. Hundred um, percent.
0: Yeah. So it's like right now it's early in the morning in New Zealand, and it's about three o'clock afternoon my time, right? So I think for a salesperson especially they have to be like they have high energy early on in the day so you know somebody has to do this at <laughs> night uh, or evening it's 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 a different experience altogether yeah so was that one of your early on like so challenges wise right like once you build the product out um, and you're exploring markets um, of course us is one of your strongest market uh, what was the challenge? Like sales was the biggest challenge, or getting, or was it? The, and technology-wise, it seemed like you were pretty clear. Like, what were the early challenges that you kind of
1: saw? Yeah, I think um, we were. So um, we always had a very small team, um, and we so we had to be very efficient with that small team. Um, and it's probably at some points our team probably should have been larger, but we were. Uh, you know, some, some some startups and startup founders always want to hire people and they get a, a boost for themselves if they hire and make the team really big. Yeah. Um, that wasn't that wasn't our personalities as founders. So we, mm-hmm. we sort of kept things small. Um, so certainly, like, how do we deliver really good product with a small team was was a big challenge. We had to prioritize very, um, you know, we very care about how we prioritize things. A lot of a lot of talking to users and a lot of figuring out clever ways of solving problems that might be a lot easier to do than another way of solving that same problem. Um, and then certainly, yeah, certainly we so we have a freemium model where people can sort of adopt our free version and then teachers or students, um, individual teachers can upgrade, but also a whole school or a district or even a state um, can buy the full the full product. Um, and I think like early on, finding that mix of how do we get the free product compelling enough that people will use it but also have enough in there that drives people to upgrade to the yeah the full paid product that that took quite a while to get to get right. and there's points where we would have huge growth in free usage. Um, but it's like oh no money's coming in. Um, but you know th- those sorts of things we we sort of got into into balance eventually. Right. Um, and then, I mean, certainly growing the team as it is as, as anybody who's, I think growing a team past different stages. And I mean, I can only talk up to, to, to the hundred point, and so we can go much, much further. But things change so dramatically right. at different points, and you really have to um, completely relearn how how you make a company work. You know, when you, when you can have you know you've under under ten people, and you can just all get into one room and sit around and co- figure out what it is you need to do, and then everyone knows and understands it, and then all the context because they were there, like. That's completely different from even at fifty people, where you can't you can't do that. Like you put fifty people into a room, you can't have a conversation where everyone gets to have input and you come to a conclusion. Like it's just it's just not possible. Yeah, so yeah. it's everything has to change.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, but it's interesting. I mean, that's the kind of problem you wanted, right? If you started a company, you never wanted to stay at ten yeah. people, right? So uh, yeah. I think it's part of the adventure of uh, being true to what. The core of your identity is when you're starting a company and from what you're saying it feels like you've always known how you wanted to build the company and again these are like good problems to have but like retaining culture retaining habits and you know perpetuation is it's all these are all challenges that are good. I feel Um, so it's interesting so uh, let's let's jump into uh, something that I was really curious to kind of ask you um in terms of the cloud you know and how the product right now is like let 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 people understand they can go is it does it work like a saas product um or is it like they can self deploy it within their infrastructure say they are a district they want to s- keep all their student data there how how do you guys uh, enable it for everyone else
1: um yeah so we're a, a saas product um we we're, we're cloud deployed on on google cloud um we haven't done on on prem and um, it's something like earlier on in different different iterations of things we were looked at more at some enterprise customers. Yeah. Um about sort of outside of education and some of them were more interested in that. But um schools don't generally have the like they're not they're not they don't have the sort of the technical teams um uh, with the time for you to, to do something like managing. Deploy play? everything, um, yeah. So they're much more concerned about what are you doing with the data, how's it protected and all those things which we can do better if it's um but they our infrastructure so um yeah we are um uh cloud hosted on on um on, on google um currently um all on all us east so we're sort of uh um there and um yeah uh it's as it's, it's, it's sort of served off off of there with um you know we've got uh your ruby instance running on kubernetes we've got cockroach running running kubernetes we've got um some Postgres still running on Kubernetes. Um using ClickHouse for data analytics. So that's that's running there and a bunch of bunch of Kafka and other Ruby things running around and some Java other some right. Java things running around in the background. So we actually even run like um instances of Chrome on the back on our back end to do some rendering tasks. So yeah. Oh interesting. Um
0: yeah, that's very cool. Do do you um like I'm assuming with the SaaS you will basically multi-tenant deployment for each uh, company uh, or not a e- company but is it by user or by the school or something like that
1: yeah we we are like a um yeah it's a it's a multi tenant so we we're not deploying separate tenants for for different customers um because like there's actually um a lot of collaboration happens between customers um so it's sort of like it's one of those things that um when we started hitting the scalability limits on in, in Postgres, um one of the things i did look at obviously was okay well let's just um take take the busiest um busiest domains um and split them off onto separate you know separate instances um but you start looking at how many links there are between people in different domains and it turns out that you know teachers they know the teacher in the school next to them or the or the school that's you know a couple miles down the road they're sharing things back and forth all the time and we don't right. want to stop that sort of collaboration. You know, I think because schools are, one of, the, one of the things about schools is they're not generally in competition with each other. They don't see this, the next school, even if it's a different district, they don't see them as competition. They're, they're friends, they're yeah. collaborators. So they're always sharing things back and forth. Um, so from that, it was clear that like we really wanted to maintain uh, a single tenant infrastructure that would allow us to, well, you know, uh, a single a single a uh, single infrastructure for all of our for all of our tenants um for our customers so then we could have that sort of collaboration much much more easily i mean you can do workarounds but it was going to be it was going to be messy
0: yeah oh that's awesome i mean that's a good point right like i mean the, the space you are in is so different like it's an education space this online education which is different this is classroom education right it's like and everybody's kind of doing the same thing and the objective is really to serve the next generation at the end of the day whatever these teachers do and my daughter just started going to school and we have a different app that we the the school uses for that and i was just looking at the app and i felt like it was like not really that great but i'm not i have not she just started school so if i as a parent go and say hey you need to start using kami (laughs) it'll be really funny so at some point i'm gonna pitch it for you guys but what i felt is uh like what when my daughter interacts with the the app that they have, um, I mean, there are a lot of things missing in it, you know? Like, And, and I was looking at, um, you know, I looked at your videos and demos and stuff like that. And I like the fact that you integrate with Google Drive and Docs and you teachers can go and kind of scribble on top of that. And it makes the whole experience so much more, uh, I would say, real, you know, which you can't do with like typing stuff, you know? So that's pretty interesting.
1: Yeah, I think like, yeah, one of the things I think that is... A little bit unique about us is, you know there's a lot of, um, as you mentioned, you know, there's Google Docs. There's, you know, obviously Word, Word, and 365, well, and yeah. Sheets, and you know, there's a lot of tools out there which um, are great and get and do get used in classroom but in classrooms, but none of those are built for kids. None of them are built for for students. So when you're asking a like a six or seven year old to use the same mm-hmm. Google Docs interface as a Fortune 500 company. Like the you, the needs are very, very different, um, and what what a kid my, really needs is a great drawing tool.
0: You know, my, my daughter's favorite feature. She's like, "Where are all the pink colors?" You know, so she's looking for colors and something like look like a pencil that she can scribble on top. Of things, yeah. You know, so it's yeah. a totally different user experience, yeah. for sure. Yeah, yeah, it's a great point. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you're right. Yeah, it's like the color selection. The, I mean, even just like great drawing tools. You know, we've invested a lot in drawing tools because that's so important for for schools um, and for students that um, you know Google Docs hasn't really done investment in that much and you know, it's, I guess that that they're focused on a different a different use case um so it's yeah it, it's, it's that kind of um, that thing where I think that by being focused on on the education use cases we can just um make like and it'll make like experiences much much better and we can build like really nice turn in flows really nice flows around so we have the ability for the teacher to choose what functions the students should have available for a certain assignment. so if a teacher is um sending out something that's really just about text and drawing they can just give okay i'll only give the students text and drawing um and they can even modify that join the class so they could say okay now you've got past this section now i'm going to turn on the insert picture tool and go find a picture and put it in um and that sort of real-time controls just allows the teacher to actually have a you know keep the students on task and keep the students um you know clear where they where they need to go rather than the students coming into a tool with 100 options all turned on and they're you know they're trying to find the one that they're supposed to use yeah um
0: yeah. No, I mean, it's it's fascinating. You know, when you were thinking, when you were saying, I was thinking, actually, like, I mean, there's some amazing changes happening in the space with AI, right? Like, and OpenAI has this assistant API that is now capable of uh, GPT-4 Vision, right? Like, that's the, the model. And basically, if I show it a photo of a duck, and I, I say, what is this? You know, it can... Pr- tell me oh this is the duck you know so i was just thinking you know, for you guys I, I do not know if you're already doing that it would be so cool for you to integrate with something like that where a kid um like a teacher says okay you need to submit these these things make sure you put these diagrams in and then these diagrams come in you can use the api to kind of look at these and auto you know score these and the teacher's work is kind of reduced you know uh, using ai it's a i don't know if you're doing that already but yeah there goes there goes a, a good idea for you so i don't know
1: yeah we're adding a lot of tools around um sort of questions and auto scoring and making this much more structured in cami um and obviously yeah that that ties into ai very nicely in different ways um you know it's interesting like there's some things where um you know you don't want the ai to be integrated in a way that takes away the, the learning part for the student um and that will you know, be of course I'm sure lots of debates of which things, you know, is you know, it pointless to learn that thing now because I can just do it. But, um, you know, we, um, and, and generally our philosophy on those sorts of things is we, we are really, you know, we are a teacher focused company. So we are, we are sort of, um, we will, you know, make those things available for, for teachers to decide and they can decide, okay, is this something I want the they students, don't want to students or not, using? Yeah. Yeah, and maybe there's some places where they they want to get the students to have experience using AI or experience um, doing something, so they'll turn it on. And other times, like no, I really want you to learn this thing, so I'm I'm going to disable that. Um, but yeah, and definitely on the teacher side, I mean, we've seen, um, and I'm sure you you've seen this as well that yeah, you know, the stack of papers to grade, the amount of um, uh, time like th- that that takes is enormous for for teachers, and anything that saves them time is. Just gets the hugest reactions from our user base, so we're definitely looking at ways that we can um, use AI to save teachers' time. But I think you want to do it in a way that is taking out the the busy work, so that then they can give actually more high quality, more first size feedback. You know, maybe right. it's something some AI is summarizing it for you, but then the teachers then taking that and recording a video to give back to the student, uh-huh. um, right. which is a much more personal form of feedback. So it's not just like, oh, here's some AI graded thing that, because it's important that the student feels that um, the teacher actually cares about their learning and cares about them progressing, um, because that's one of the major drivers to to learn and to to go further. Right, yeah. yeah, that's
0: an interesting point because you don't want everything to be done by AI because then uh, the teacher is just like, hey, I'm just going to do a push on what you guys need to do. And it just comes in, AI auto scores it, but the teacher is not really involved in how the kid is progressing. Definitely, definitely a good point. And, and kind of also reveals how much you think about <laughs> the experience, uh, you know, as somebody who's designing um, the com- the app and building the company around uh, this idea. Um I wanted to ask you, um, I know we are reaching, you know, a little bit of towards the close of um, the podcast recording today, but um, there is so much going on, right? Like, like changes in the market, changes in new software. Every time there is a reinvent, I know you and I were talking about all the different announcements that might be coming up at AWS reinvent last month we spoke. I mean, how do you keep up? You know, how, uh, how, do you have like a process within the company to like <laughs> hear what's happening and look at ideas that you can implement in your tech stack?
1: um so yeah we, we get a lot of feedback from you know we have a lot of people out in the out on the field talking to teachers and talking to our users all the time and um they they give us a huge amount of feedback back that we that we work through um i guess in terms of like te- changes on the technology side um you know i'm certainly uh spending a fair amount of time on hacking news which you know, may or may not be the most useful way to spend time but i definitely definitely see things coming up there and i mean across the team, we, um your engineering team people always seeing new things and we're 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 sort of um posting those up and, and talking about them and um yeah it's, I mean there's such a such a sort of yeah rapidly changing capabilities out there. I mean I think like part part of the sort of the philosophy of how I try to approach these things is um you know I don't think that we are a company or should be a company that is um you know something there's some new hot technology whatever that is and we're going to integrate into our product because we want to be associated with this hot new technology right like we could have right. gone like oh we're going to input um blockchain and um nfts into our product and say like, well <laughs> does this add value for teachers that's the, that's the question um or not and that that's that's the question for us uh, so you know we we absolutely want to use um all the latest technology and, and we will and we're you know we're developing those things but it's about adding value for students, adding value for teachers, making learning better. Um, And we we don't don't, like we don't feel a need to jump onto any particular, um, you know, hype train of hype. Yeah. Yeah. Any particular trend of, hey, everyone's launching AI features this month. You better have your AI feature. It's like, well, does it help teachers? Does it make their lives better? Or is it just, uh, you know, something cool to put on the home page and say, hey, look, AI.
0: yeah, I mean, I mean, half the half the products in the market, half the emails that I'm getting today has AI, and I was at reInvent, and pretty much every booth I was at was talking about, hey, look at what we do with AI, look at this, at that, and again, what happens is the use case is diluted in that, and the mm. the what you're trying to solve kind of get lost, and I'm kind of glad that you are building a company that's focused on solving a, a very, very clear problem, which... I believe two teachers and students are always going to be there. I, I Here's my opinion on how universities are going to be. I think the way we do universities is going to change. But the way we do schools will remain pretty much the same because we have to go through standard education. And I feel like uh, what you guys are doing at Kami is extremely, extremely awesome. Uh, and it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you about it, Jordan. Uh, for everyone listening, uh, if you want to check out what Jordan and his company do, go to kamiapp.com. Uh, that's the website. I believe, yep. uh, and uh, and they are doing some brilliant, brilliant uh, engineering work and building this awesome product for uh, the teachers. Um, John, are there any other places where people can come and learn more about what you or your company do, or even uh, like follow you uh, that you would like to tell everyone?
1: Uh, yes, it's in the uh, Kami app It's our main site, and yeah, you know, we're on all the different uh, socials as well. There's a um, uh, life at Kami uh, Instagram, which is sort of the behind the scenes. So yeah, people nice. can you can check that as well.
0: Awesome. Hey, I'm going to be uh, following what you guys do. And uh, I'm going to talk more about uh, this to my mother, who uh, was a teacher. And uh, I've got to make her uh, kind of more troubled by the fact that she didn't have something like this <laughs> and uh, and at some point i'm going to go to my school where my daughter goes and say hey well, you guys need to start using kami because i think it's pretty cool <laughs> thanks i'll do that pitch for you <laughs>
1: yeah yeah no, thanks for having me on this is this is great and...
0: hey thank you so much uh, jordan it's been an absolute pleasure yeah, all the best